You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. And uh, let's look at Galatians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is establishing his credentials with the churches in Galatia by, by sharing with them his personal testimony. We looked at that last Sunday morning and Sunday evening. We talked about those seven qualities that ought to be a part of your experience with Christ. Notice the Apostle Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 2, 14 years afterwards. This is after he has already been to Jerusalem once. And this is when he goes back for what we often call the Council of Jerusalem. And it was at the Council of Jerusalem that the ultimate conclusion was reached that Gentiles can be saved as well as Jews and that in order to be saved, you do not have to become a Jew first. Most specifically, you do not have to undergo, if you were a man, the rite of circumcision in order to be a Christian. This was a, this was a terribly hard truth for devoted Jews to accept. And um, the idea that others than Jews could be saved. Um, it was an amazing thing. You remember when Philip went to Samaria, they thought, well, Jews can be saved, but certainly not Samaritans. They, they are mongrel Jews, but they discovered that Samaritans could be saved. And then Peter went to the house of Cornelius, and it was there that Cornelius, the centurion, who was an Italian, he and his house all came to know Christ. Peter went back to Jerusalem. He related to them in, 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 uh, on two occasions. He, he repeated what happened at, at the house of Cornelius saying it's amazing, but these Gentiles can become Christians as well. And so he's speaking about this meeting when he has gone back now to Jerusalem for this council. He says, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, I took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. In other words, he said, I had a, I had a top-level meeting with the Christians' leaders to find out if I was doing right. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that, because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. In other words, he said they literally had some spies. And the whole purpose of this was to bring us back into the bondage of this Jewish ritual to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of those who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me, God accepts no man's person, for they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. The Apostle Paul said, in other words, what I learned three years in the Arabian desert with the Holy Spirit as my teacher was as much and, in fact, more than what the disciples themselves learned in three years in the flesh with Jesus. They could add nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that would be Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, 
perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision or to the Jews. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same thing which I was very bold, or you may have the word forward to do. He said, in other words, I heeded their advice in that. Now, these aren't the only six secrets to a successful Christian life. They are six more secrets, but I think that you will discover that they are essentials. And so in these next few moments, as we study these first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 2, thinking about how to employ and enjoy our freedom in Christ, we'll be thinking about six more secrets of a successful Christian life. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful you've given us an opportunity to meet like this. Lord, it's so wonderful to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and then to have in our midst others who are searching for what it means to know Jesus as their Savior. Lord, it's wonderful to sing praises to you, to laugh, to enjoy the privilege we have. But now, Lord, we turn our attention to your word. We realize that it is the ultimate authority for our lives, for all of our faith, for all of our practice. And we ask that your Holy Spirit teach us from this word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would alert us to the truths that we need to see this evening. Father, I pray you'd speak through me to each person here. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Keep your Bible open to Galatians chapter 2. And let's look at these six secrets, six more secrets of a successful Christian life. Let me just say at the outset that I don't believe that anybody really wants to fail. Now, I believe sometimes a person can become so disturbed that they, they really try to fail. But, but by and large, all of us want to succeed. If that were not the case, convention centers and conference halls would not be filled across our land this evening with people who are seeking to learn how to succeed in their particular line of business. I have been amazed. These success seminars many times will gather 50, 60, 70,000 people in one setting, and someone who is a success will speak to them about how to succeed. Well, I believe you want to succeed in your Christian life. If you know Christ as your Savior, you ought to. That is a healthy desire, not so that you might be a person of note, but so that your life may be the platform upon which others may see just how powerfully God works in the life of a believer. And so let's look at these six secrets of a successful Christian life. And I'm going to just speak briefly to each one of these, but I pray that God will write these across your heart and that uh, you perhaps will want to write these down there someplace in the margin of your Bible even as we study this second chapter of Galatians. First of all, if you want to succeed as a Christian, you need to make your decisions on the basis of God's directions. Now, what I'm about to say can be an explosive truth for some here this evening. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will write this across the heart of more than the usual number of people who sit in this congregation. Notice what the Apostle Paul says about his journey to Jerusalem, verse 2. He says, I went to Jerusalem by revelation. Now, what I'm hoping will happen in these next few moments is that God will show you what it means to live by revelation. There are two ways you receive information upon which you act. The, the first way is obvious. You receive information by employing the five senses of your body. You see, hear, smell, taste, touch. 
that goes into your heart or soul, your intellect processes it, your emotions develop certain feelings about it, and you make a decision based upon what you have perceived through your five senses. That's one way. Now, that is called rationalism. The decision that you have made has been a rational decision. Sometimes people say, be rational. What they're saying is, take all the facts, think about them, decide what you're going to do, and then do it. That is a rational decision. But if you are truly born again, you are born again in the Spirit. Jesus said to Nicodemus, that which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. Man must be one of the flesh, that's how you're born the first time, and also of the Spirit, Jesus said to Nicodemus. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you, you have a second way of making decisions, and that is called revelation. Revelation. This is God not using what you see, hear, smell, taste, or touch, but God literally speaking directly to your spirit. Now, it doesn't mean you ought to ignore empirical evidence, but it means that if you want to succeed as a Christian, you need to live by revelation, God speaking by his Holy Spirit through his word. And whatever God says to your heart through revelation will, will not only be found in the word, it will never be contrary to the word because this is the pure word of God. He makes no mistakes. Now, let me give you an illustration of this, and this could really excite some of you here this evening. I pray that it will. Jeremiah 33, 3. Everybody knows that verse? I want you to say it with me. Here's, here's what it is. Call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. All right? So let's say that together. Call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. All right, now listen. Notice he says... I will show thee great and mighty things, or show you great and mighty things. Now look, which you do not know. In other words, what he's saying here is, I'm going to reveal to you something that you do not have enough information inside your brain to know. You can't know it. You can take all of the information you have received in your entire lifetime, all that has been programmed into this amazing thing, this brain of yours which has 10 billion minute nerve cells, each one discharging a small amount of electricity with every thought. I mean, that is absolutely amazing. And here's what he says. He says, there are truths out of here which you cannot know with your brain. You don't have enough stuff in your brain to know it. How can you know it? By revelation. How does it come? By prayer. Call unto me. And I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God says, I'm literally going to come in. I'm going to restructure the thinking process of your brain. I'm going to reveal to you some things which you do not now even have the capacity to know. Now, that is an amazing thing. And it is only possible when a person is born again in the Spirit and is seeking the will of God through the Word of God. Now, I do not have time to give you uh, multiple examples, but let me just say to you that one of the things I believe people in the world hunger for in terms of 
looking at Christians and what they desire to see in the life of Christian. They desire to see a Christian behaving in a fashion that they cannot explain in terms of human reason. Let me give you an example. Do you think it ever entered the brain of Joshua until he met Jesus, the captain of the Lord, the Lord? Do you think it ever entered his brain that the mightiest walled city in the world, walls 30 feet thick, the city of Jericho, do you think it ever entered his brain that simply by walking around them once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day, hollering and blowing those ram's horn, that those walls would fall down? Joshua could not know that. He had never seen anything like that. How did he know that? He knew that by revelation. Now, what I'm trying to say to you is this. If you want to truly succeed, let's take you college students. You're saying, Lord, I, I want to do what you want. I, I, I want to follow your direction for my life. Lord, I'm listening for your call. And, and so you sit down and hear these counselors. They'll say, you know, based on your aptitudes, you ought to be this, you ought to do that. You certainly are skilled at this. This is what you ought to plan to do. But for some reason, God just doesn't let you rest with that. Others say to you, oh, you're a natural for this. You're a natural for that. But you stay before God and you stay in the Word of God. And then one night or one day or at some moment on your knees or you're in the Scripture, you're calling unto God and you're saying, dear God, what should I do with my life? God will put it into your heart something you do not know. He will say, this is my call for you. This is my plan for you. Some of you businessmen who are here tonight, you are so bum-fuzzled, you're stumped, you don't know which way to go, you don't know how to handle the problems that you've got, and, and you can sit down, you've heard advice, you've read books, you have sought counsel, all of that is good, all of it has been programmed into your brain, you are struggling still with how to solve the problem. You get before God, you open the Word, you start calling on Him, you start consistently reading the Scripture, and He will show you not just a way to get out of the mess, He will show you a great and mighty solution which you did not know. It will come to you by revelation. Paul said, when I went, he said, when it pleased God to reveal His Son in me, in chapter 1, verse 10, 16. But now here he says in chapter 2, he says, when I went to Jerusalem, he said, I didn't, he said, I was off out here on the mission field. Nobody sent me a telegram and said, Paul, Council of Jerusalem is being held and we urgently request your attention. Paul said, I showed up in Jerusalem by revelation from God. At the precise moment that this church was, was reaching some of the most far, well, they were arriving at some of the most far-reaching decisions that would ever be made in the history of the Christian church, and he says to the Galatians, it affected whether you got the gospel. And he said, I went there by revelation. Now, what this city needs, what your school needs, is to see the life of a young man, a young lady, a businessman, a housewife, a business lady, to see a life that cannot be explained in terms of human reason and logic, but can only be ex explained in terms of revelation. Revelation. That is the first secret. I, I, it, it might ought to be the only one I deal with all night. 
The first secret, you need to live by revelation. What does that mean? You make your decisions by seeking direction from the Lord, calling unto Him, asking Him to show you those great and mighty things which are, are, have no way through your eyes, ears, nose, mouth, your taste, your touch, have no way of entering your brain. The only way they're going to get there is God by His Holy Spirit through His Word puts them there by revelation. And I'll tell you, that is one great secret of success in the Christian life, all right? And it will always be consistent. Somebody comes, God's revealed to me, I'll do something that's totally contrary to the Scripture. God didn't tell you that. He will never contradict himself, all right? Revelation, make your decision by seeking God's will, all right? The second of these very, very important ingredients to a successful life. You must make your beliefs a matter of serious study. How do you, why, why do you believe what you believe? And I refer again to university students because I have such a burden on my heart for you. See, the big question is that you're going to face is the question I faced when I entered the university. Why do I believe what I believe? You college or high school students are challenged on that same thing. Why do you believe what you believe? Now, sad thing, the worst thing you could do is to say, well, I only believe them because my parents told me to believe them, so they must be wrong because I just believe them because they told me to believe them. My preacher told them, so I'm going to throw all those away. That is a terrible mistake. Because you see, what you're assuming then is that because you didn't arrive at them by inductive study, they must be wrong. Well, no, they, they might be right. As a matter of fact, maybe the reason you heard them is because they were hammered out on the anvil of the lives of your parents and your preacher and others who have studied the Scripture. And they're, the reason they're still preached today and were preached 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, and 2,000 years ago is because they're right. So don't just say when some professor stands up and challenges you and you say, well, I don't know why I believe that. I just always did. They taught that in my church and my parents said believe that. So, yeah, I don't know why. Don't just throw it out the window. But the other, on the other hand, you need to make your beliefs a matter of serious study. Now, notice, if you will, verse 2 again. Paul says, I went up by revelation. I communicate unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. He said, I went up and I told them what I was preaching to the Gentiles. Now, he said, in addition to that, I did something else. He said, privately. I went to the big dogs, to those who are of reputation, these pillars. He speaks of James, Peter, John. What did he do? What did he want to accomplish in that private meeting? He says, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. He said, I was very concerned about the authenticity of my beliefs. Now, let me just speak to you about something very prevalent in our generation. We have a group of people, and, and don't worry, Brother Don, and don't worry, church, obviously, we're going to have four more secrets to successful life in the time. I'm not going to get to all these tonight, all right? So don't worry. But, we're going, but I'm going to preach this till I'm preached out of it, okay? I mean, not tonight. I'm not going to give you the whole load 
but I am not going to hurry through this because I believe it's important. We have a generation of people, uh, and it's not the first time, who believe that doctrine is a nasty word. A lady said to me one time, I like, and she didn't hear because they don't preach no doctrine there. Well, she's she, wrong on a couple of counts. Number one, they didn't preach doctrine, but not, they didn't talk about it very much. They didn't have very good doctrine. But the second thing is, she made that a criteria she, because, see, she believed that doctrine divides. Well, let me tell you what doctrine is. Doctrine is to the body of Christ what your skeleton is to your physical body. Spiritual gifts are like muscles. You know, nobody admires anybody's skeleton. Look at that skeleton. They admire muscles. That's the way it's spiritual. Ooh, look at the way they do that. Oh, they help. Oh, they preach it. They teach. They, oh, that is so great. That is wonderful. Nobody admires the skeleton. But let me ask you a question. What good would a bunch of muscle and all those organisms do inside your body if you had no skeleton? You'd just be laying there on the ground, just blub, dub, blub, dub, pulsating, you know, just be a squashy. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't reach out. You couldn't walk. You couldn't lift. You could accomplish nothing. Now, let me tell you something. People who have no concern for pure doctrine don't accomplish anything in the Christian life. Just right now. People who don't know what they believe, they don't know why they believe it. The doctrine are those things essential to the Christian life. Essential. Now, there's a lot of things about that we read about in the Bible, but many of the things we read about are absolute essentials to our faith. The doctrine of the new birth, the doctrine of the virgin birth, the doctrine of blood atonement, the doctrine of the crucifixion, the resurrection the doctrine of the Word, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Trinity, the doctrine of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the ordinances of the church, the doctrine of the mission of the church, the doctrine of the evangelistic purpose, all those are doctrines. And if you don't care about them, you see, you are not going to be much. You know, you'll be like a thimble full trying to run over. I mean, you just you just be, you know, you may look great, but you be much. And so you need to make what you believe a matter of serious. Why do we have Sunday school? Why don't we just all get together and spend the whole time just singing, praise the Lord, because that's so much fun. Why do we go out here and up in these little groups and get a teacher and he labors over this or she does this lesson all week long, and then why do we ask those teachers to come back on Sunday night and they got to go through this preparation and... And they work on this, and they call people, and they say, please come get in this class, please get... Why do we do that? Why did Sunday... I mean, there are almost 2,500 people involved in Sunday school today. You know, why, why are we concerned about those people being involved in Bible classes? Because it's important for you to know what you believe. If you don't know what you believe, you are like a plumber going to somebody's house to fix a leaky faucet and you open your toolkit and you got nothing in You don't have any way to fix anything in life. You have no tools. You have no equipment. And if you had you, to, to use, you wouldn't have the expertise to, to know what to do with them if you are not concerned about what you believe. People say, well, Brother Tom, you know, we have this school curriculum and, you know, everybody, you know, they, some people say, boy, I love being on the school. 
or others that's always saying, I just want to wing it. I want to go in there and teach my thing. By the way, if that happens, you ought to say to your teachers, you ought to say, please teach me the Teach me the Bible. Don't just come in here and wing it, you know. I know it's fun one week to talk about the football score. It's fun the next week about to talk about who got drafted. And I know it's fun if we're going to talk about this or talk about that. Curriculum means we are moving through the entire Bible every 11 years teaching you what the Bible says about what you believe. See, that's why we do this. That's why it's so important. Say, look, this is great, but I want to learn the Bible. Not just attitudes and opinions. Teach me the Bible. See, that's what we're doing in Sunday school. That's what I want to do. My goal is to preach through every book of the Bible. Every book, expository preaching just like we're doing through Galatians and have Romans and Jonah and Joshua and how many, what, Revelation and, and James, 1 Peter and 1 John, I think. And I, I'm trying to think of the other books I preached through. There are other books preached through while I was there, the Proverbs for men and, and so forth. Because you need to know what you believe. Paul said, here's my concern. I was out there ministering. I was slaving, sweating. Man, I was traveling around, and I was telling stuff. I want to make sure that what I was saying was right. So you need to make your beliefs a matter of serious study. Okay, here's the third. And this is so, so very important. Never... Never compromise your doctrinal integrity. Now, later on, let me just give you this little preview. Next Wednesday, we're going to talk about how to, about a man-fearing spirit, and we're going to talk about also this. You need to realize that God deals different people different ways. And, and, and Paul makes a point. He said, the same God that gave me the power to preach to the Gentiles is the God who gave Peter the power to preach to the Gentiles. And he says, we accepted that. We shook hands on that. He did his thing. I did our thing, thing, but we worked together for the kingdom of God. You see, we're going to get down to the point where Paul braids them because they say, well, if you don't do it my way, if you're not in my program, and if you don't have my if you don't live my life, you can't be of God. And Paul says, that is not true. Matter of fact, he said, one of the great truths that came out of this was Peter went his way to the Jews. I went my way to the Gentiles. We had you distinct messages for both of these groups they are working together for the same purpose. And there's sort of a creed that comes up that says, if you don't go through my methods, you're wrong. Well, we're going to see that he, he bunks that before we get through with this passage, but I'm not there. Here's number three. Never compromise your doctrinal integrity. Never compromise your doctrinal integrity. At, at um, this passage again, beginning with verse 3. Titus was with me. He said he was a Greek. He was not circumcised. And he said the end result was that he was not compelled to be circumcised. He said, by the way, why did that become an issue? He said, because they brought in spies who came in privately to spy out our liberty, to see if we were really walking in the liberty of Christ Jesus. Why? Because they wanted to bring us into bondage. They wanted to make us Jews before we got now notice verse 5, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. Why? Because 
That's the only way you could get the truth of the gospel. Let me tell you something, friends. Toleration, I'm for toleration. I want you to be a tolerant person. But compromise of the basic doctrine of Christian faith, not on your life. Never. You see, one of the things that you'll hear, th th this is a problem with the ecumenical movement. This is a problem with liberalism. They say, hey, 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 man, look. We all believe about going to heaven and, and, and we, we don't all have the same idea about how to get there, Jesus being the only way, or, or if he is the only way about him being born of a virgin and everything, but hey, we're all one big happy family, uh-uh. If you're not saved by a virgin born, blood-shedding Jesus Christ, on Calvary, who's resurrected from the dead, him and him alone, we're not in the same family. Now, I can tolerate you. I will not punch your lights out. But I won't ever agree with you that you're right. And furthermore, I will not support you. You're wrong. You see, one of the issues that faced us as Southern Baptists, isn't it? The issue of making sure that what we give our money to goes to preach the pure doctrines given to us by an inerrant God who has an inerrant word. You see, that? that's the issue. And there are those out there who say that's not all that important. That's not a big deal. The main thing is we just, in the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, well, the problem is they're not talking about the same father and they're not talking about the same brother I'm talking about. If they're not talking about a person coming to God, repenting of his sins, and trusting in Jesus, never sinned, but who did die and was resurrected and is coming again to the church, and in him alone. And in him alone. See, the test of fellowship, money, or the test of fellowship is not experience, and the test of fellowship is not whether we have some similar goals. The test of fellowship in terms of a family is whether we agree on the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. Now, the Apostle Paul said, these guys came in and they tried to get us to compromise. He said, whom we subjected even for an hour. He said, I went all the way to Jerusalem. I wouldn't give them an hour of compromise. Not an hour. I didn't come down here to compromise my faith. The thing that concerns me is, the students, you can get in there and start compromising while you're trying to learn. Let me... Let me ask you to do this. Make your beliefs a matter of serious study before you give anything up. Don't start compromising and trying to struggle your way through. You hang on to the truths you've been taught until... You know, if you have doubts about them, doubt your doubts first. Doubt the doubter first. A lot of people there who are educated far beyond their IQ. And, and, and I have always said it is more important who you than what you learn. And if you're learning under someone who's a skeptic and... You know, I, I've always been amazed at the number of people who are intelligent if you don't believe anything. You know, what do you think? You know, the Persian Gulf. Well, maybe so, maybe not. Well, how smart you are. Oh, man, what do you think about God? Maybe he is, maybe not. Oh, you're so brilliant. No, he's not. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't believe anything. He's not brilliant. He's a bozo. 
Now, you say you are anti-intellectual? No, just the opposite. You ought to know what you believe. That he ought to know what he believes. Don't let somebody who doesn't know what he believes get you to not know what you believe. Important who you learn under. Do not compromise the basic tenets of faith. Never. Not even an hour. The Apostle Paul said, if I did that, if I did that, you wouldn't have gotten a pure gospel up there in Galatia. I'd have come up there with some warped, twisted kind of junk that would have never gotten anybody into heaven and you was going to heaven and everybody thought this was wonderful and the church would have died in Galatia if I had compromised one iota of the Christian faith. Don't compromise your Christian doctrine. I tell you, there's enough n- walking around with a backbone like, you know, uh, a twist brain filled with pablum. You know, get a backbone of iron. Know what you believe and stand there, broad-shouldered and footed if you have to, but tell people, this is what I believe, this is where I stand. Know what you believe. Don't compromise what you believe. All right? That is so very, very, very important. Now, if you want to have a successful Christian life, you're going to have to have at least those three. And, and by the way, there are three more. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit just bring us to a time of decision right now. I ask you stir up our hearts so that we'll know exactly the decision we ought to make. I pray that that there be people here tonight. You know, I've not been live, living by revelation, looking for God's direction for my life and following it. Others who say, Lord, I, I haven't made Bible study. I believe a matter of serious study. I have, I've just compromised. Father, you'd bring to the altar those who would say yes to you tonight. These issues and others who would give their hearts to Jesus on this church or uh, Lord who have just a troubled heart and they want to they pray. Father, I pray you would bring them to the altar just now. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed. And once I'm going to ask you to stand. Our counselors are going to be down here at the altar. If you need to receive Christ by faith as your Savior, and he's the only one who died for you, the only one who's from the grave, the only one who's coming again for believers, he will wash away your sin if you will repent of it and to him. And I urge you to make that decision this evening. And if you've never known what it is to have your given tonight, it'll be a wonderful red-letter day in your, your eternity. And I trust you to make that decision. If God's speaking to you about joining this church, I would urge you to make that decision this evening. You may be here as a, you may be here for the first time. You may have been here many times before. It's a family, single person. If God's spoken to your heart, I would urge you to come and join as people service. If you need to follow the Lord's command to be baptized, I'd urge you to come forward and say, look, I'm, I want to show other people that I'm saved through the symbol of baptism. If you've made a decision in an earlier service, maybe join the church by letter or maybe been baptized, and we've never introduced you to your church family, I want to ask you to come forward and be seated over here to my left to your so that you can meet your church family tonight. Your invitation to come to Christ, and I pray you'd make that decision.